No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. G'day, I'm Dr. Friday, and the doctor is in the house, and we're going to go ahead and go right on to the phone since, uh, is it Byron or Brian um, has joined the show already? Is it Brian? Brian, there you go, buddy. All right. Sorry about that. We have spoken before, uh, and I sent you a Facebook message. I didn't know. I wanted to be real super clear. I didn't know if you had time to read it or not. But anyway, I've got a friend of the family. He's, uh, you know, 20 years old, getting married. He and his fiance make $15 an hour, $60,000 household income. And they're not married yet, and they're going to build. And I'm wondering if it is a good idea or just an idea to build uh, a garage with an apartment and then use the garage as his shop slash office slash storage facility. And if so, how much of his mortgage could he write off? What kind of expenses? How much could he depreciate the property? Etc. So, um, well, because there's two catches on that one, in my opinion. First, what I, I may have missed, uh, Brian. What what did the, what does this person do for a living? Um, he he works in a factory. Okay, so there would be no home office if he's working in a factory, right? Well, no, he would be he he would be uh, lawn care handyman. Uh, okay, so he's gonna he's gonna be taking care of the property that he's staying on, or or the so owners are going to give him gonna, room and board in exchange. No, he the, the, he's being deeded this property for as a as a wedding present, and he's going to have his own small business. He's going to do he's going to mow yards, he's going to do handyman things, and he's going to do uh, tear outs and hallways on flip houses. Okay. Okay. So he's making a big change here. Um, Cause that's yeah. what I was just but he's gonna sure. do both. He's going to be employed and right. he's going to be self-employed. Right. Well, I mean, I guess the bottom line to that, that answer is if it is an actual viable workspace, meaning a place where he is um, storing his lawnmowers, um, a space where he is working, invoicing, doing something that's legitimate in the place that he can't sleep because you can't have your bed in the same room that you're working in because home office. Um, so right. that would be, cause you were talking about possibly turkey a portion of the garage and making it into his, his office space is what I was kind of hearing, but I want to make sure I was on the same page. Yeah. He would be able uh, office, to do that. Uh, office in storage. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be able to take a portion of it. It would all be based on square footage. Um, so the, the downside to any time you use a home office or you put a building on a home property is that there is a one time or a five year, every five out of two years exclusion that when you sell that home, if he's single, it sounds like he's getting married, but if they're married, there's a $500,000 exclusion. So if they're inheriting or, or gifting this house to them at a certain dollar amount, and then 500,000 above that, and they sell it they will still have to do what's called a recapture of depreciation. So I'm not absolutely sure 
that I would if I was handling his, if you're saving taxes today, but have to pay taxes later, especially when we know later is going to probably be at a higher rate than it is today. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would actually push depreciation on a home property, you know, okay. unless there's awful, I mean, yeah. unless the profits are good, you know I mean? I'm, there's, it's not a black and white answer, but if for a startup company, yeah. you know, without knowing his income and his brackets, I don't know if that's an advantage. So, well, he's being gifted the property, but he's going to get a mortgage. He's going to get a loan to build, to build out the property. Right. So, so I mean, and when whoever's time. gifting him the property, there should be a value other than a dollar on the quick claim. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, cause they would have at least preserved if you're gifting it, it should be the value that the other person has into it just as a point of interest. Yeah. That way no one pays tax. So they ha they're gonna they're gonna be in the sixty thousand dollar household income range, and he's gonna create he's gonna be doing a self employed like where he has his own we'll just mm -hmm. call it handyman jack of all trades probably gonna probably gonna gross between sixteen and twenty thousand uh, gross you know re receipts mm -hmm. is, is that enough can can they write off a significant portion of their life like overnight meals and just I mean, there are legitimate it, deductions, just, you know, I mean, right. again, home office, they could still qualify for the $5 um, per square foot up to 300 square foot, you know, home office, if they have legitimate space, meals and entertainment, I would question, I don't know a lot of lawn services that qualify, but if he is actually having to go out and meet people at restaurants or whatever, he would qualify if he's signing contracts with these people through that uh, system. Um, obviously right. any kind of form of advertising biggest thing for most of my handymen or, or lawn service, of course, is the, um, wear and tear on the vehicles, gas, petro, you know, all the things for the tractors and everything else they use lawnmowers, uh, tracking all of those different types of expenses. That's usually where your, your expenses is more of the miles on your vehicle and the wear and tear on the equipment. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's where he would he would most likely get his best advantage. If he does do handyman, then he'll have receipts. But some of my handymen, really, all they do is do the, the labor and the, the the people will supply the actual material, you know. Um, so right. it really just comes down to whatever he's going to figure out what's his niche. But, you know, there is some part of the life, but I, I will be quite honest with you. It really depends on how large a business he gets and, and how, you know, what type. I mean, most lawn services won't be having a lot of meals and entertainment, but they, you know, but now handymen um, or especially, you know, I won't call them contractors, but people, you know, that are that are doing work. They sometimes will be meeting people at, at restaurants or things like that. But um, yeah, I would I would just be careful on trying to write off every lunch because in all honesty, you your lunch is not a tax deduction in any sense of the word if you're just doing local lawn service. Right. Is it, would this, so is this going to make an, if, if, with, with, with what I've laid out, is it, would this make a significant difference in the amount of tax savings? Like, or, or is it just... I don't think so. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think any person, I mean, the only way you can have a tax savings, I mean, sure, you might get to uh, put 1500 towards the household per year on a home office. I don't know how much of a dent that makes in some people's, I mean, maybe that's one month free mortgage or something, um, you know, but all in all, it, it's going to, I mean, any self-employed person, if they're 
really making a life that they're going to be making profits and therefore they're going to have to pay self-employment tax plus ordinary income tax. So, um, you know, there may be some things that you could use that would legitimately be like your vehicle where normally an employee can't write off anything for their home or their vehicles. He will have his vehicle, his Petro, um, depending on if he uses actual or miles and probably, uh, like I said, a, a portion of the house, but most of the home office expenses are you know, $1,500, $2,000, 1500 is the maximum on the simplify method. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, I don't think it's going to make, and he's going to have to start setting aside 20% of his gross pretty much to offset the taxes he's going to owe if he's actually going out to try to make a successful business. Right. Okay. So, um, so it'd take a few years to make it worthwhile. Is it kind of, is that what I'm gathering? Well, that's it. I mean, I mean, I have guys that start lawn services. And by the end of the year, they've actually made money. You know, I mean, they're not taking losses. Now, sometimes we don't have a lot of profit because they went out and upgraded their equipment. And so that equipment is then section 179. And we're able to reduce their taxes based on a new lawnmower that now costs them 10 grand. Uh, but, you know, uh, but the equipment is, you know, all in all, that's just made their job easier, or they now have two, you know, two lawnmowers, one they ride and one they can, uh, you know, drive or whatever, you know, but that's, that's the, the industry. So in answer to your question, I, I mean, I don't think anyone um, is going to have, I mean, I, I'm not too sure if I'm totally understanding, but I don't think they're going to have a huge advantage by him being self-employed. It could actually backfire where they're going to owe taxes every year, because unless you're, you're organized, you're going to still pay taxes every year as a self-employed person, unless you're losing money and no one goes out to lose money in a small business. I mean, they sure, do sometimes, sure. okay. you and I both know that, but it's not intentional. Yes, of course. All right. Well, I appreciate right. it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate Thank that you. question. Seriously. Thank you very much. All right. We got Donna. Donna on Rental House. Hey, Donna. Hey, Dr. Potty. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question. I have a rental house. I've been fixing it up for uh, a couple of years, actually. What am I able, I've been told that I'm not able to uh, deduct anything that I've done to the house. I've basically redone it completely, but that I could only deduct like the uh, electric, the water, um, the grass cutting, the, well, you know, that's not gutters, true. Kind of um, well, I mean, it, no, I mean, anything that goes into a rental, we can deduct. Now, the question is, is it instant gratification, meaning that you get to take 100% of it today? Or is it something that has to be depreciated? And if it's depreciated, if it's less than $2,500 per an invoice, you can take most cases, you can take a section 179 and accelerate it anyway. So I mean, anything, one way or the other, everything and anything should be documented because when you eventually sell that home, you would like to have all that information in the system. You know, some of it will cause okay. recapture of depreciation, but you still want to have it in there so that you're getting the best advantage, if that makes sense. Okay, great. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Dr. Friday. I appreciate okay. it. No problem. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate it too. Yeah. All right, we're going to Daryl in Columbia. Hey, Daryl, what is happening? Oh, it's just beautiful weather out today. And, uh, I would like to know. I haven't been outside yet. It's been sitting from my computer all day. No, I'm just joking. Go well, for okay. it. Okay, well, maybe you can pull up the scene <laughs> and make it look like you're outside. I do that at work. Too. I'll get in the office. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. I got a question. It's out of a curiosity. I've uh -huh. always heard about the, and yeah, I, I do banking at Regions, and I've heard about any. $10,000 transaction has to be reported to the IRS. 
okay? Yep. I did sell a little a little camper earlier, uh, well, last year, and one of the deposits was 10000 So what does that actually translate to? Should I – I haven't filed my taxes yet. I do turbo tax. I'm ready to pull the trigger. But do they report it to the IRS? Should I hear anything from the IRS? I know it ain't none of their business. I mean, but if, you know, I sold no, it. No, I hear you. Okay, so first, was it a check or was it cash? It was deposited by a uh, electronic transfer. Okay, so that wasn't reported. What the, the, the rule is, is if someone walks in the bank with $10,000 of cash or consistently five days in a row with two or $3,000 of cash each day, the bank is regulated for money laundering to have to tell, you know, get the information, where'd you get this money? What was the purpose of it? It doesn't actually feed back in taxes because if you sold a trailer, I'm going to make a guess and I could be wrong and you can answer however, but I'm just saying most of the time we paid more money for that trailer than you're selling it for. If, it, if that's not the case, and I have some guys that can fix up trailers and they actually can sell them for more, um, then I will say that you, you need to show that just like an asset uh, that appreciates. So you would do a Schedule D, include what the cost of that vehicle was, what the sale price was, and you pay capital gains long or short, depending on how long you owned it. But the IRS does not know about it because it was a transfer in. Well, <laughs> you know... Um... It actually, in today's world, uh, I bought the camper back in 2010. It's a small, it's a fiberglass camper, hard to get, and I did make money on it. Okay. Uh, just simply because it's crazy world right now, and I expected to lose, but no, I made money on it. Uh, maybe, and but you know, it was paid in two different amounts. They brought me cash money. I made that deposit. I'm well known at the bank. Is it, I know, right. I know sure. people. Are, you know, stuff like that. So it wasn't like, where's this money coming from? The people that bought the trailer were at the bank with me. So they knew right. everything going on and uh, nothing was ever said. That, so, I, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, again, the bank was not um, obligated in that scenario. Um, it again, it's, they're looking for money laundering where there's a lot of cash in a business. Probably the one that comes to mind is a lot of my car dealerships there. They seem to get a, a lot of cash and therefore once a month or once a few weeks, they have to continuously put it into the bank um, and uh, it can create, you know, conflict. But, um, but in your case, I mean, that, I mean, there was nothing there and the bank wasn't required. There is a form that the banker would have had you complete if they were going to need to, to complete that transaction in a different way. So in answer to your question, no, the IRS does not know about it per se, unless they audit you. And then, then of course that's a different conversation, but um, you know, other than that, it's uh personal item for personal item but theoretically it should be reported because you made a gain on an investment wow just, yeah i know okay. i'm just putting my two cents in there in case the irs is listening i don't want them to think that i didn't tell you the right answer well i mean <laughs> and, and in turbo tax they tell you any income has is supposed to be reported uh, right. you know i've got a couple of dividends on small investments and they don't, and they tell me they said we didn't report it because if your dividends under ten dollars, we don't have to report it. I, right, I, I, I that's true. In anyway, yeah, and, and uh, that's right, and that's the perfect. Day. I mean, that's what everyone's. But I mean, again, I, I'm just saying that's, and and that is true. I know a lot of people will come in and they'll call every little bank and they'll have two or three dollars here, a fifty cents there, you know, and it may add up to seven, eight dollars. I mean, right now interest rates are horrible for all of us, uh, but if it's less than ten dollars per a um, individual or, or location, um, like Regents or any of them, then then you do not have to report it. But you are putting it in. You're doing it the right way. You're you're giving it. The the tax software is saying it's not important. 
Okay. But there was, there was no paperwork went into the bank saying nope. what it was for, what I paid for, because I bought it in 2010. So that right. was a long time ago, and I've had expenses on it, tires. I had just well, that's the thing. I mean, that's what you'd have to take into account, in all honesty, if I was doing your taxes, I would say, so you brought in 2010, but did you have to keep the titles on it? Did you have to keep insurance on? I mean, whatever. All of that would be added back because you never wrote off any of that during the time, a lifetime of that investment. Ah. So yeah, just putting that, that out idea. there that, you know, in all honesty, it may not have actually been a profit. You're just looking at yeah, what you, you know, had, originally paid for pay from taxes. what you sold it. Yeah, I also had to pay taxes on it. And with everything I've put in it over the years, we would well surpass what I made on it. You know, yeah, so, I'm not surprised. Just, and but, that's what, you know, again, if I was doing your taxes, that would have been the first thing we would have had to go looking for was, you know, what did it take to maintain and keep this, um, you know, this investment as it is. So, um but it sounds like you did, you know, again, it's it, that part of it's not a problem. And you can't really take a loss on a personal investment like that. So um, there's a catch 22 on all that. So anyways, I think you did the right thing, my friend. But no, the answer to your initial question is it was not a cash transaction. Therefore, the bank would have asked you to fill out a form to justify it. Right. I thought if it had been, if it had been experienced, RS would give me something back saying, okay, it shows here, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't heard anything, and the bank said nothing about it. And, right. of course, they didn't question. Like I said, they knew what was right. going on because they were there, you know, while yeah. we were waiting on the wire to come in and all that. So, and we, he did give me cash. I went and deposit just like any other thing. They knew what that was about. So, okay, that, that, I knew. All right. I, I thought I was okay, but I wanted to hear it from the professional. And you are the, you you are, you are the I started to say you are the man, but you are the one. So I appreciate <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, mate. You. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Um, why don't we take a quick break, uh, Lavidius, um, and then we will come back to the Faith and Anne, because we're about five minutes late for that break, and we're going to be right back with the Dr. Friday Show. All righty. We are back here live in studio, and the phone lines are blowing up, which you guys know I totally appreciate. And let's go ahead and hit Faith. And we'll go from there and see if I can help. Hey, Faith, what's happening? Oh, I'm so glad to talk to you. Um, there is a new tax law as of January 1st uh, of this year that it used to be that you could sell on eBay or wherever 200 items or $20,000 worth. And now it's $600 flat. And I'm 72 years old, and I live on my Social Security, and I have a small pension. The only way I can make extra money is by selling my personal items and the things I buy at thrift stores on eBay. And I have a PayPal account. And so far this year, I've already, um, uh, out of my PayPal account, I've spent $600 on shipping charges. So I, now if I count the uh, what I paid for the items and the boxes and the tape and the bubble wrap and all that, I really don't make very much money. So, right. but it's enough to, it's, it's fun. I enjoy doing it. Um, I'm, I'm right at this point before I'm talking to you, I'm thinking I'm going to have to close my eBay accounts and take a loss on all the items that I've purchased for resale. And it, so, that would be a terrible loss for me. Let me, 
Let me um, kind of no. Let, let's talk a little bit about that faith because to be honest, it sounds like to me there's a couple different things. I mean, yes, I know about what you're talking about. It's the 1099k, the new one where, like you say, it used to be up to twenty thousand dollars or two hundred items. The 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 new tax law came in and they thought they were really being fancy and they said, oh wait, let's go to six hundred dollars and find out everybody that's spending. Now I was talking to someone just uh, the other day um, over. Wednesday and Thursday. And we did actually pull up our Venmo accounts and PayPal accounts. And um, you can friend people, at least in Venmo, which is where I do a lot of my family transactions and things like that. And I was like you, I'm sitting there going, wait a second. So every time we go to dinner and everyone just one person pays and everyone else just moves it over there, it's going to change um, you know, to, to now be taxable to me. Cause then no one's going to want to do that. Right. I mean, that's just going to be crazy. Um, so first thing is, you know, you want to make sure that you are, um, making sure that that, and it does sound like a little bit, like you might have, even though it's your own item. So I don't know how, um, how you're not, I mean, at this point, you're not really showing this on a tax return, or maybe you're not even required because you're in retirement. Um, do you actually even file taxes? Well, yes, I didn't know that I didn't have to file taxes. Well, I mean, if you're only on Social Security, and again, I don't know your, you know, you and I okay, don't know, gotcha. so I don't know your taxable situation. Okay. But if you have a pension or something, you may still have to file. But Social Security yes, by itself, yes. you don't. Yes. And I have been filing taxes. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, I just don't know what I should do from this point on, because I'm afraid that I, I am already over the limit. Right. Well, what you may end up having to do is file a Schedule C. I mean, you know, if you take off your your home office and all the cost of shipping and the, the biggest part would be is coming up with your original cost for those items since they are personal items. Most people don't save receipts for everything they've ever purchased, um, you know, and that's that's going to be where the attempt to um, to to beat that threshold is. Um, there is a thing that Congress is going to quickly act that they're talking about. Um, I'm reading the, the, the Congress site here because I know there's been some action and moving that level up to $5,000. It's something that is more reasonable. They're trying to get pushed in. I can't guarantee it's going to get passed, but there is a bill right now um, oh, requesting that. Um, so, you know, we're all hoping because $600 is, I mean, to be honest with you, I personally think in some things like PayPal or Venmo, especially there are a lot of personal uses. It's eBay. I mean, a lot of people do personal things. Like you just said, I have more than one client that actually does sell personal items or, or I've got kids that will go to grandma's house and they'll pull out a bunch of stuff from the garage or attic and they'll sell them for their grandparents, you know? Um, and right. so it is definitely, you know, something that they, but on the other hand, I think the IRS is truly looking for people that are in business. They're thinking, I mean, that if this person is selling more than 5,000, now 5,000 a year, at least might be something, but still, um, my, my suggestion is one of two things. And it does sound like that you are actually tracking some of this through your PayPal and things, but I would probably just start tracking your expenses. If you're doing PayPal, um, there's a fee that we pay when we use PayPal um, or you receive payments through PayPal or whatever. Um, I would track the um, eBay cost if there is. I don't do much on eBay anymore, but I think there was cost back in the day. And then, you know, postage, storage, whatever it is, I would start um, including those situations in, um, you know, in, in a package or 
notepad, whatever, I would start tracking it because I mean, it's a part of your lifestyle and it sounds like it's something you could use. Now, I don't know if there any cash app they're saying here, PayPal, Venmo, cash app, even, even the, the third parties that Uber, Lyft and uh, TaskRabbit, all of those are tackle, all of those um, that are used, they're going to be used, considering those all the 1099 case. So I don't know how, unless you start going back to the street garage sale, I don't know how we're going to avoid that information to be honest with you faith but um you know i I do think like i said our hope is is that they're going to override the um, requirements that were reported to to go in effect initially in 2021 they extended it out to 2022 on the annual 1099ks and then that way people can um six hundred dollars just extremely low it's 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 ridiculous Yeah, it's really, I mean, I always thought the number of transactions was smarter and then having like 20,000, because if someone only does one or two transactions, even like the gentleman that called earlier, I mean, you know, selling one thing a year and maybe you make a few dollars on it, 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 you know, it's, this is just a lot of extra paperwork that's being mandated from businesses to have to put out there and more paperwork for the IRS to have to deal with. And they're already like 17 million copy or million I don't know, something 17 million letters and tax returns are still sitting at the IRS from the last year. So, oh my, yeah, who knows what the next one, but again, the threshold they're trying to do is a more reasonable level of 5,000. Um, and then, um, they don't even have a number of transactions. I don't know if that will totally help you, but it'll probably get you a little closer to what you normally have, but you know, I would probably just consider it this year, whatever happens, just Think about doing a Schedule C. You might find that you're actually not making a lot of money on it. It may be creating cash flow, but it may not be actually creating profit. If that that's makes sense exactly to you. what it is. That's exactly you know? what it is. I don't even I don't know what a Schedule C is, but I will look that up. But yeah. um, do I pay myself for time? No, unfortunately, I- we can't. Your time is paid through profits, and then we just mentioned that there may not be gotcha. such a thing as profit in yours. But you would track like your miles going back and forth to the post office. If you have to take things to the post office and packaging, you would try. You know, anything it takes to get that package from your closet to okay. the uh, the other person. So just put a little thought to the, all the little extra steps of things that you're doing to to make that happen for you, so you don't have to worry about you know, hopefully paying tax. That's the whole point. We don't want you to have to pay tax on something that you've already purchased and paid tax on in the first place. Okay, real quick. One last thing. Go ahead. Is I heard a long time ago that you got to be a certain age and you, it didn't matter how much you made, you could make any amount of money. And it was, I don't know how that works, but Mm -hmm. um, what, what is that? Okay. The only thing I can think of is um, social security, early social security versus full, uh, full social security age. A lot of times people Uh. say you can make all the money you want because they can't take any, if you're on early social security for anyone that's listening, if they're like 61, 62, they can get on social security, but they have a limitation of like 19, $20,000 that they can earn, or you have to pay back $1 for every $2 you earn over that. So that's, I think where that saying came from, but there is, Unfortunately, I've got people in their late 90s still coming in every year because they have to file taxes. So they're, I wish oh that would be a nice yeah. little thing and say, hey, I've made it to this age, whatever that age be, and, right. uh, but not going to happen in your or my lifetime, sweetie. Okay. Thank you so much. God bless <laughs> you. you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. And we are um, going here. And you know what? Why don't we um, let, you know what? Let's hit Ann because she held through the last break. If we can do that, can we hit Ann real quick? Thanks. Hey, Ann, what can I do for you? 
Hi there. Um, I had a rental house that was destroyed in the tornadoes that we've had, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to report that on my taxes. But that's going to be a to loss do. of uh, that's going to be on your um, capital loss. So you're going to have to go through, and you can take anything that was a federally claimed loss, um, meaning that the federal government came in and said, oh, wait, this is going to be a federal disaster. That's the word I was looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. You're just going to need to have the, they have a a number assigned to each federal disaster. You'll need to have that information. And then you're going to put it on, um, uh, I'm trying to find the form uh, because I don't do a lot of them anymore. We used to be able to do this anytime people had, um, you know, any kind of loss uh, but we don't have a lot and I've been fairly blessed, uh, what, uh, you know, for having those particular situations. So let's see, and you will need to have what the value of the home was, uh, before the loss. And then what sure. did you get insurance money? Yes, but, but not enough to cover it. So I had to pay extra. Now, did you, did you improve it or did you, I mean, did you like make the house bigger or do anything like that? Well, I made it bigger, but even if I had not, it would, the insurance uh, wasn't a full replacement coverage. So it was probably mm, 50,000 under the value. So the form you're going to want to send in is a 3911. 3911. Okay. Yeah, and then you're um, then you'll need to have just the forms of what it took to reconstruct the home, and then you'll take out whatever insurance, and then you'll be able to claim those additional losses. Okay, because um, like the fifty thousand I put into it mm-hmm. to make it mm-hmm. like if it had sold um, for a certain amount, it was like the insurance was like fifty thousand under what it, the value at the time was. Do I need comps from the area of the value for the value? I usually suggest that, yes, because obviously, um, you know, especially recently, it used to be you could use property taxes and get a rough idea. But let's be honest, uh, property taxes right now are actually lower than what um, most of the comps would have been at that time. Yeah. So comps well, would be better than property taxes in this particular situation. So I don't do any, de- well, there's nothing to depreciate because it's gone. <laughs> yes, gone. no, yeah, there's no, I mean, there is basically on the form, it's going to ask you what the value was before the disaster and what would the value after. If it was completely wiped out, the value after was zero, right? So we just need the yeah. comps of what it was worth prior to the disaster. Right. So that way, then you have the ability to recreate. And a lot of that um, is in the insurance papers, some of it, at least, where they valued what the you know, how they paid you back. They didn't have the full replacement, but still the values will be there. A lot of them. And then going forward, do I just do a new cost basis for the new property? Yes. It's a brand new home. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give this a try. So thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. All right, Lavidius, let's go ahead and take our second break. Since I'm running a little bit behind, we'll hit Brian, Rose, and Ron. When we get back from this commercial break, this is the Dr. Friday Show. All right, we are live here in studio. I am Dr. Friday, an enrolled agent licensed with the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation, which I've been doing for just about 20 plus years. So we're going to go right to the phone lines. And it looks like, oh, looks like Brian's been on the line for a while. Hey, Brian. 
Hey, Dr. Friday, how are you? I'm good. Good. So uh, working with a company that uh, I, we recently got acquired and um, looking at the retirement benefits, uh, this new company offers something called a mega backdoor Roth. Mm-hmm. And so I've already met the max on my 401 for the 2022 calendar year. And uh, reading a little bit more about the mega backdoor, I've, the max I think that we can put in that a year is $20,000. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So I've already added, I guess I've contributed uh, $10,000 so far. Now, to my understanding, I have to fill out a piece of paperwork and do a Roth conversion. And I would only let me back up. They've changed the rate. So I'm going to double check that. um, So in 2022, which is what we're talking about now, the mega backdoor allows this to be, and this is a Roth conversion, right? You have to contribute to an IRA, then you convert your IRA into the Roth, right? Um, It's $40,500 right now. Well, that's that's the, that's the total for the mega and the 401. Is that correct? Um, it just says the that's mega. The, the, 401, the 401 was 20,500 plus the mega. There you go. You're right. You're right. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Okay. I'm not a financial planner. So I have to cheat a little bit. So yes, you are correct. Reading this, that is exactly right. But after I make the conversion on the mega back door, I would just pay tax on the gains that I've made. Is that correct? Right. Once once you make the conversion, then it's in a Roth and then the Roth obviously grows tax free. But if okay. you do when so, you do the conversion of that 20, you have to pay ordinary income tax at the time of the conversion. Correct. OK, so it, it makes sense that once I say I put in uh, three thousand, four thousand dollars a check to immediately convert it over so that I'm not paying taxes on market gains. Would that make sense? It would make sense. It would. Okay. And I would say you might want to double check because some of the things I'm reading here, I mean, I'm just being honest, but you're under 50. It sounds like you're young, but it's saying that um, nine, at 19.5 is what you can contribute to the, um, you know, the regular 401k that you have. And then it's saying another 20,500 for people that are under the age of 50. So that's what you were looking at, I think. Uh, okay. So, well, I thought this year the 401 had moved up to 20,500. It's saying that, limits of this in twenty twenty two. I'll take your word, but it, I believe it's saying twenty thousand five hundred and twenty thousand because the total is still adding up to okay. forty thousand five hundred. Let's okay, go with that. I, yeah. So let's say I meet this forty thousand five hundred next month total. Mm-hmm. Can I still, in my other uh, retirement accounts that I have, can I still contribute? to a traditional IRA and then convert it to a Roth? No, you'll get bit. You're going to get fined. Okay. Okay. Nope. They'll hit you with a penalty and require you to take it out and charge you a penalty, which will reduce the whole purpose of the whole situation. Well, I knew that the mega backdoor was through my company, but I didn't know if I could still do my individual backdoor Roth, which is... um, No, they're they're taking that into account because you can do... And, you know, in all honesty, anyone can do the mega backdoor either through their own or through a company, just to let you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be done through your business. Okay. okay. But you can only, that's, that's the maximum that can be put in. If you put anything above that in, you're going to end up getting um, penalized and they'll charge you a penalty for over contribution. Okay, great. Great to know. 
All right. Well, thank you Thanks, much. buddy. I appreciate it. That's a good question. Thanks. All okay. right. We got Bye-bye. Rosie. Hi, Dr. Friday. Fangirl Hello. here. I obviously was in the uh, wrong business if um, your, your caller right before me has already maxed out 40500 and it's not even <laughs> April yet. But yeah, well. uh, anyway, that's not why I'm calling. Um, so uh, <laughs> a question kind of related to phase call. Um, my husband and I have a um, have wonderful front row seats to the Sounds games, front row aisle um, mm-hmm. of the ballpark, and there's 72 games, so we can't possibly go to 72 games. Well, I guess we could, but um, right. we don't. And um, so I sell uh, tickets to friends and family. I mean, not family; they don't live here. Uh-huh. To friends and coworkers at cost, and then post them post the tickets that don't we don't use and we don't sell to them on the sounds resale site. And um, this year I have to, I had to uh, complete a 1099 K for transactions more than $600. And so I'm just trying to cover my costs of the tickets. And so am I going to have to do a schedule C? In theory, the answer is going to be yes, because anyone that receives a 1099K, it's going to have to roll is either going to be other income, which means you're just basically saying I'm paying tax on it, which would be absolutely ridiculous. Or in your case, as long as you're paying it for cost, you're going to have a wash, right? You're going to have a 1099K. It says this is how much in and per that number of tickets, this was my cost. It's a zero transaction, Uh, but it is a form that you're going to want to do because otherwise they're going to come back and say, you didn't pay tax on the 1099K if you just ignore that the 1099K exists is what my fear is a lot of people because none of you guys are in business. We're used to it on our side as many of us have merchant services that we've been using for years and we get these forms, right? Uh, But Mm -hmm. individuals never received these forms in the past. And I think you're just going to cause a lot more confusion, but you know, that's the game I think they're playing. But um, that being said, Rosie, your thought is fine. As long as there's no profit being made, you'll not pay tax on it. Um, If you're selling them for more than what you have to pay for them, in theory, that's what the IRS is looking for. I think they're trying to find people that don't think they're in business, but theoretically they're selling things for more than what they originally paid for them. So therefore you are making a profit. Therefore it's a business. And actually, that did happen last year because everybody was so stir crazy uh, with COVID Mm -hmm. and they were just like busting out. And so, um, you know, if if somebody wanted to pay $75 for a game that my husband and I wanted to go to, we said, you know, sure, Sure. I'll take that $75. And so theoretically, I probably did make, you know, more than the tickets cost last year. But that's right. not but, my intent. But it's, Right. It's, it's not your intent to make profits on most of those. I get that. But I mean, again, I think it's going to come back down to where you're going to have to. Now, in 2021, you did not receive or did you receive a 1099K in 2021? Okay. So this is only going to happen next year, but I would say anyone that's listening and these, you know, I think this is going to be quite a few people, make sure you start to save the information on whatever you're selling. In your case, at least you have, you know, a season ticket price and you know how many tickets that come to you back out the ones you didn't sell. And the difference is your cost basis. Um, but, um, you know, that would be the, you know, the, the answer. And you may end up with some profit. I mean, that's the point is, you know, then, then the IRS is saying you're in business of selling tickets and you made money and you need to pay us our fair, our fair share. 
definition of fair share is not on this radio show, but anyways. <laughs> okay, thank you. And, um, no, and uh, along with Kay, I cannot claim any any time for posting the tickets on the resale side or anything. It's just, I mean, your time, no. Uh, again, if they're, I mean, in, in theory, if you have a computer, a little bit of internet could be used. There's, you know, there is some home office possibly that could be if you have a legitimate space in which you're doing it. If it's just your laptop and it happens three times a year, might not be enough to actually go chasing. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And um, thank you so much for your help and you have a great no day. No worries. You too. Thanks. Thanks All right. Let's hit Ron. Ron in Manchester. Hello. Hey, Ron. What can I do for you? Oh, it's me again. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this has to do with this 1099K stuff. And it won't matter how many deductions you have. But how are the states going to be aggressive on sales tax for this? Well, uh, that's a great Great point. I am going to hope that like a small business owner, you know, there isn't a business license unless you have more than, you know, three or $6,000. But I mean, there is a business license. In theory, the state has a business license that all of us business have to pay sales tax that could be paid. Um, those are directions in which you're thinking good. I mean, you're thinking outside the box. Um, I'm hoping that that's not going to come down, but you know, this is, this is why they're looking, I think they're digging, they're trying to find where people may or may not be um, reporting all reportable income. You know, uh, that's my answer to that, but yeah, it, it could come down to that, Ron. I mean, you know, you know, we know that sometimes what the IRS finds out, they share with the States. And once, once a couple of years of this is going on, I would say that you could find out that they would find out that you're running a business from your home. I mean, that would be something that would be turned in because 1099Ks come to a bit mailing address. I mean, there is all kinds of things we could think of that might change situations that we don't want to have. Well, now the providers, the eBay's, the PayPal's, the, all those people, now, they could start charging sales tax and collecting it. Amazon I'm, does that for some of my clients, I think. Yeah, I mean, somebody yeah. can uh, sell from Tennessee to somebody in Arizona, send them something, and not not have any sales tax. I, I, I'm just Correct. wondering. How, uh, but you know, right now you're telling the people have to track what sales are in state, what sales are out of state, and then if there's a warehouse involved, you know, I'm just saying there's there's a lot of different things that come from that. But yes, I mean. Who knows where this could lead from simple little home business that somebody was cleaning out their house or their garage or their grandparents' house into having to pay sales tax, business tax. I mean, you know, it could turn into a lot worse. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you listening. All right. Let's go ahead and take our last break. And we get back, we'll hit Alan and Dixon. This is the Dr. Friday Show, and we'll be right back. Live here in studio for the last oh, four or five minutes, and we're going to make this quick. So let's get Jason on the line. I'm sorry, Alan on the line. Goodness gracious. Hey, Alan. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I have a quick question. Uh, if my wife retires in six months and I'm on disability, do we have to continue doing taxes? Well, if she retires in six months, she might have a partial W-2, but is she going to go on Social Security at that time? Yeah, she'll start on retirement social security but from so, after we get that there will be no more taxes you have to file every year 
Well, if all you have is Social Security, but if she has a pension or a 401k or IRA, that may cause some of that to be taxable. Okay. I mean, if it's more than 12, uh, more than 20,000. Or if you sell a house or something. Well, sell a house or yes, any of that. Yes, you sir. To, any, or you make money on the, if you hit the lottery. <laughs> yeah, that will definitely lead to it. Yes. <laughs> okay, well. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate your show. Thank hey, you. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, I appreciate you. All right, guys. This was an awesome show. Boy, we just had kept Lavidius. His little fingers are just tired from having to answer that phone, but he did a great job. All right. So um, if you want to reach our office, the phone number is 615-367-0819. I will let you know, unless you're a returning client from last year, uh, we have no openings uh, for tax preparation left. Um, I'd love to tell you we do, but unfortunately, you guys have just uh, closed out our calendar. But um, if you need to call 615-367-0819, you can check us out on the web at drfriday.com. And of course, you can always email, but I will tell you, we're probably running a good three, four days behind in responding to emails. I know we should be, but we're in the peak of tax season, guys. It's a little crazy around here. And the email is friday at drfriday.com. So again, if you need help knowing to get something done for taxes, or if you um, haven't filed taxes in a number of years as an enrolled agent, we are um, licensed to represent you in front of the IRS. So we are there to help get your situation back in line. I'm not one of those companies that's going to turn around. And before you do anything, I'm going to say, hey, give me $3,500 or pay $1,500 and $500 a month. We're going to first figure out if we can do something for you and what it's going to cost to get it done. Because let's make sure, you know, I mean, I have a lot of people that walk in my office after 20 plus years, and many of them are turning around and saying, hey, I've paid a lot of money to get my tax issue done, but I still have a tax issue. So this time, if you want a company that's going to help you resolve your tax issues, all you have to do is give us a call, 615 367 0819. And again, the email is friday at drfriday.com. If you need to send me a message, you can always go to drfriday.com and go to the website. Also tells you a little bit about who I am and what we do. Um, so that way you can uh, make sure that you're dealing with a company that you know is going to be here and, and stand behind you and, and move forward. So I hope you guys are having an absolutely wonderful Saturday. And remember, you know, if you're not going to get to your taxes on time, make sure you file an extension because that's the only thing that's going to stop some of the penalties. Even if you're not going to file or pay, at least file the extension. It's the only way you're going to keep some of your own money in your pocket. And then we can look at resolution and move forward with what you need. If you can file the extension and pay the taxes, that's the perfect thing to do. As we always say in Australia, cop you later.